0: This is um, uh, part five of our series on habits, and uh, if you're joining us by podcast, we say welcome. And what we've been looking at is habits and, and how they are an essential part of our success and our failure in this life, and they are, play a great role in who we are. And what we will do, what we will accomplish, how we will be seen by others is largely an expression of the habits that we embrace and the habits that embrace us. They are evident in our practices. Just a quick definition. Um, habits are these behavior patterns that we acquire through repetition or exposure they're an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. They are the go-to piece. When you're training in certain disciplines, uh, or it could be music or, or high performance disciplines, uh, firefighters, uh, policemen, law enforcement, military, they're always training to develop what you will actually reach for and do in a crisis. When, when it comes to panic mode, what do you grab for? Uh, in, in dive training, uh, they have you pull off your mask and fill it with water, put it back on, and they want you to be able to clear that mask even though your face is flooded with water. And they do different things underwater and what they're really wanting you to do is to train what to do when you panic because you will, there'll be a point where you panic, where your air is not there, where you can't get your ear to clear, where there is a creature bigger than you are, whatever it might be. Because the, the instinct in that moment is that you go for the surface. You break all design and you go to the surface. And you see people training do that. They immediately lunge for the surface. And they're wanting to change that habit to addressing it in a very safe mode. Because if you're at 110 feet, the surface is two and a half minutes away. Two and a half minutes away. So habits can be good or bad. And most of our life is really operated in these routines, in these habits. They really govern most of what we're doing. So the habit loop, we've been learning about that. What are the three pieces of a habit loop? The first one, the cue. Very good. The second one, the routine. routine, Excellent. And the third one, The the reward. You guys have been great over these last four sessions. So habits are really about changing the moment the way we think they should be. We had a, a video clip last week of Sheldon from Big Bang Theory and, and the struggles he had when you did not finish the tic-tac-toe game, when you set up the dominoes to, to create the domino effect and then you just take them down and put them away. <clears throat> the struggle of not finishing a routine. So those habits are designed to make something as we feel like it should be, even if it's just in a thought. So those rewards are the things, the feelings, the thoughts, the actions that will meet or satisfy us in the moment. So I like to start with rewards because that's where we're always going to in habits. That's what the habit is all about. Well, in Scripture, as we already learned, the reward is really rooted in desire. That's, how, that's what the, the Word would call it. And the, and the Word gives us this image that there are desires of the flesh and there are desires of the Spirit. Now, often when we think there's kind of a middle ground in there, I want to introduce you to. Uh, let's say that uh, you really felt like having a donut this morning. As I hold this donut in my hand, I want to eat it. I want it. I'm going to wait till after this message. <clears throat> but is a donut, is this a sin? Well, some people would actually say it is Um, and some people some people would call it a blessing Uh, and the truth is there's not really a scripture I mean and maybe you're not supposed to have the things in that donut but donuts in and of themselves are not a sinful thing a cup of coffee is not a sinful thing Uh, these things are not sinful. They're just things that we have a desire for. The scripture, when it uses the term a fleshly desire, it's talking about a desire that is contrary to what God is doing. Contrary to where God is taking you. In the Old Testament, when we read about Jonah, Jonah was heading away from Nineveh. Well, it's not a crime to go away from Nineveh unless God is calling you to Nineveh. And then that opens up a fleshly desire. I want to do what is contrary to what the Lord is doing. That's a fleshly desire. Now, obviously, there are sins that are just clearly sin. But there are also desires that are just desires. And we have to see what the Lord is doing. I'll bet you the Lord lets me have this donut later. I'll talk to him more about it. But I feel pretty confident in that. desires, if they just drive us, if they are in control, Mark 4, 18 and 19 says that they are actually what will prevent our growth. They will hinder our growth in the Father. Verse 18, this is the NIV. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorn, hear the word, they hear the truth, they hear about God. It's in a message, it's in a sermon, it's somewhere you are hearing truth But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come and choke the word. I'll put it a different way. The distractions of this life, the distractions of other things that you're interested in, the distractions of what are going on, the things you like, the things that interest you, the things you're focused on, they come together and they choke out that truth. Truth has this effect. Truth compels. Truth challenges. Truth will come after you. That's why sermons can be a little bit uncomfortable. That's why a lot of times you just like to get out of here. And and that's why we always have a time of ministry after a message here. It's because... What is God doing with that truth with you? Now, maybe he's not doing anything with you, but maybe he is. And so we give an opportunity for you to respond to that truth. Because I know that when you walk out that door, distraction is waiting for you. In fact, many of you have a distraction that looks like a cell phone. And it's calling you right now. Some of you are even looking at them right now. Staring at them, continuing to stare at them, even while I'm talking about you. So you see, the word gets choked. And the desires of what we want to do in that moment, or what are distracting us in that moment, prevent what God is desiring to do. In James 1, verse 14 and 15, this is the NIV, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. An evil desire, it's one that is contrary to what God is doing in this moment. It's that simple. Evil desires and enticed, and then after desire has conceived it, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. We really have to take care in the moment because the moment is producing something in you and I. The moment is alive and active. The moment is all there is, and it's producing in you and I. It's producing in our mind, in our thoughts, in our actions. So the rewards. Jesus wants to redeem rewards. Desires are all about the moment, and what Jesus wants to do is to break the power in our brain that wants the satisfaction now. Get the desire now. Get the, the reward now. Can you put that off and trust Jesus with that reward? Jesus is offering us and calling us to a new reward system, one that's rooted in heaven, one that's rooted in the power of what he's doing, the thing that will really feed and offer you true life. And he wants to give us a lasting and eternal reward system that is not controlled in the moment. So it flips things. Instead of the reward controlling the moment, Jesus says, why don't you let me control the moment? And why don't you let me worry about the reward? And why don't you watch what I can do to satisfy you? So the greatest act of trust is being willing to adopt a reward that is not immediate. That's trusting Jesus. So we looked at the reward. That's that's the result. Now we're going to go back up to the cue. The cue is that moment, the event. The brain knows what to do. Here's what Jesus wants to do with that cue. He wants to turn it. In that moment, the brain knows what to say. The scripture tells us that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants you to see events and moments around you differently. He is wanting to introduce the environment, the moment, the way he sees it. Do you think that Jesus sees your moment differently than you? When you're in a crisis, when you're afraid, when you're angry, when you're hurt, when you've been deceived, when you've won, when you've lost, when you've been rejected, do you think he sees that moment differently than you and I? Do you think that his capacity to see other people differently, his capacity to see a moment different, is extending a really unique and different way that he can engage a moment than you or I? If they brought you a woman in the very act of adultery or a man, would you know what to do in his day? He did. He knew what to do in that moment. It was probably the most confounding thing of Jesus' entire existence in his ministry is he always knew what to do in the moment. And the truth is, others just couldn't get a grip on who he was. So you see, the cues the become something new with Jesus. They become the opportunities of our life. That's what our moment is. Our moments represent opportunities. I'm going to tell you about an opportunity I had this week. Uh, I went to Starbucks. I I had my phone. I was behind with like six million phone calls to return, and I was going to get a cup of coffee, and I was actually waiting for someone, another meeting to happen. I had about an hour and a half. And I'm in line, and this gentleman speaks to me. uh, just starts talking about himself, and uh, that was fine. He was a nice man, but I really needed to do what I needed to do, and he kept talking to me, and then I finally, you know, got my drink and went over and sat down, and he comes over and he starts talking to me. You know where this is going. We're, we're going to talk, and so we talked, and he told me his story, his life, and then he asked me what I do, and I said, well, I'm a pastor, and he said, Really? And he begins to tell me about two weeks ago this encounter he had at his daughter's church. And he tells his past. His past is is Roman Catholic and he kind of saw it like, you know, judgment and condemnation. That's how he saw it. He says this place was different. They had a band. It was like sting. Interesting. I said, we kind of have a sting band. You're welcome, band. And he had this encounter where he began to weep and shake. He said, I guess it was a An experience with God. And he invited Jesus into his life. That was two weeks ago. And this was in Colorado. And he's trying to, sound like figure out what to do with this. You see how that different that moment became for me? You see, Jesus Jesus was orchestrating the moment. Do you know how often we resist Jesus in the moment? Because he's orchestrating something, and we are really bent on our our desire. We're bent on how this thing is supposed to go. It was an amazing encounter. He was an amazing gentleman. And it used up my whole hour and a half on what Jesus was doing. Because he saw that moment differently. That cue, I did not see the cue. I did not pick up the cue. I was not saying. I mean, eventually I did. I said, Father, what are you doing? I I actually got to that early on, but it was probably five or ten minutes in before I finally succumbed to the obvious question of the Father. You see, those cues can look very off color to us. They can be off-putting to us. It can be a moment of confrontation, a moment of struggle, a moment of failure, a moment of deceit. But they're all, for sure, every one of them is an opportunity. And in those is where habits go to work. When I am provoked, when I'm challenged, when I'm rejected, when I'm judged, when someone is aggressive toward me, when they lie about me, you see, I am provoked. And my habits, that's where they swing the bat, that's where they step into place. They are ready to engage the moment and they know exactly what to do. I am fast, I am quick witted, and I have a sharp tongue, and I can take you out. And I want to. And the father says, that is a gift that you're not using the way I designed it. That quickness is that in the moment, I can feed you life. See, the cues, learn this. They are opportunities toward a reward that the Father has designed. The cue needs to become that opportunity. That's the retraining. The cue is almost always about us. When I'm hurt, when I'm angry, when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, when I, when I, when I, when I. And then it builds into Jesus saying, this is a moment, Bill. You're you're angry. This is our opportunity right here yeah, it's my opportunity to have justice. And Jesus would say, is that what you really want to get out of this moment? Do you want to grade down? Do you want to trade down to some moment of justice for you? Do you want to give up what I'm doing for that? Are you still there? Is that the final answer? And we go back to the story of Jesus, the routine. This is where he threw people off at the cues when they challenged him, when they tried to trick him. His, his routine was always different than they expected. It always messed them up. Well, what are the greatest commandments? And he gives this answer that throws them off. Even the guards that went to arrest him, they came back and said, well, we, we haven't really heard somebody talk like that before. Are you sucked into... And their true answer should have been, yeah, I think we're sucked in too. You see those routines. He knew where to go. The Father was leading him on where to go. The cue took him to a totally different place than people expected. You see, if you want to trap or manipulate people, you have to perceive what they're going to do with your statement or action. So when Jesus says when somebody strikes you, so if I bring Jeff up here and I strike him, I am bracing, I am preparing, I am ready for defense because what do I expect his routine is going to do here? He's going to strike back because that's what people do. I can't do this and it not be answered in this world, right? When you do this, you know something. If they don't go down and stay down, there is a response that will happen. Unless he's totally terrified of me, I don't think I'm going to pull that one off, and he, and he doesn't run from me, that's probably not going to happen. Then I need to figure out and discern what his routine is going to be. And so when Jesus says, when somebody strikes you, and then you, you kind of turn the other cheek. You don't answer with the right routine. That's what Jesus did. He never answered with the routine. You can't manipulate somebody who doesn't go by the routine correctly. So Jesus is saying, let me give you a different routine. Because, you see, to get to the reward that I'm after and I can bring in your life will require a different routine. And that requires that we see the cue as an opportunity for life, for joy, for redemption. So, in that case, when I attack, and instead, he reaches in that opportunity. He reaches in that opportunity, and God gives him words of kindness, words of blessing words that show mercy or grace to me. Now, how do I respond? You see, now it it messes up my routine. He's changed the cues. He's messed the whole thing up. Now the rewards are thrown off. Everything is messed up. That's what God wants to do with us. That's what makes you and I so valuable in the moment is when we are responding to the Father. The routine in our brain, the body, have that practiced engagement. That's what we have to work toward. It's that habit that we reach for what the Father is doing, and Jesus wants to redevelop. And here's what it will do to you and I it will redevelop your character. It will redevelop who you are instinctively. Jesus will change who you are. Because instincts are developed. And habits represent the life and the person that you and I have developed. And that's emotionally, mentally, our spiritual condition. You know, even if I have terrible thoughts about you, that's a habit. When I see someone who looks a certain way and I think a certain thing, when men who struggle with women, women who struggle with men, those were learned instincts, so they become part of our core qualities, the habits do, the result of our desires, our character, our needs, and our values. I want you to know, habits are never gone. We replace those routines, but the routines are still there, you know? You still have all these routines you built. Which ones are active? And that's why the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting verse 23, 24, uh, this is also, I believe, the NIV. All of you were slaves and free both, once held hostage in sinful society, then a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. So please, don't out of old habit, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Don't slip back to where you were. Stay and practice those new routines. How are those habits changed? They're changed often over time. They're often changed with crisis. But sometimes we change them by choice, not all that often. And that's the spiritual disciplines. Habits are just that. They're disciplines. I brought this up last week. This idea that spiritual disciplines, I don't necessarily even care for that language, but that is the general language, talking about spiritual disciplines. I'll give you a definition. These disciplines, they're they're activities, if you will. They're things or activities that we can do to bring about spiritual formation or transformation. There are things we can do that that bring about change. Now, I want to tell you, I want to have a little fine line. Let's have a real fine line here. Spiritual disciplines, let's talk about what they are not or what they don't do. They do not make you a spiritual person. They won't do that. If you read the Bible every day, um, if you pray for an hour every day, it won't necessarily. Now, I'm saying it's not a guarantee. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm just saying if you say, I'm going to read the Bible every day and that's going to make me a spiritual person, that isn't true. It won't make you righteous. You can do all the disciplines of your life. It won't make you righteous. It won't do it. It won't make temptation go away. One of the greatest disappointments, I believe, of the church that has tried disciplines. It won't make temptation go away. It might, but that's not what it does. They don't make your flesh go away. They don't make other desires go away. And spiritual disciplines don't make you a better person. After that list, you might go, well, I really don't see the point. They won't make me more spiritual. They won't make me better. They won't uh, get rid of sin. They won't get rid of the bad stuff. It's like, what is the point of this? Well, let's talk about what they will do. They clear the old and make room for the new. The key is they provide space for God's input. They give, they, they give an intentional stage, an intentional place for God. Maybe God wants to say something. Maybe he wants to do something. If your life is full, there may not be any room for him to do that in you and with you. And that's when God has to move to crisis. You see, if we don't open up a place for him, crisis will. If we are not vulnerable and open to what God can do and change in us, crisis can get us there. And so often it requires crisis because we're just not willing to give Jesus a stage, a moment, a place, room. They provide needed truth to feed on. Disciplines can provide amazing truth. You see where you can ignore me here or you can walk out Disciplines tend to bring the truth inside. You can still ignore it. But disciplines are about needed truth being present. <clears throat> disciplines provide opportunity for the inside you to whatever it needs. For the inside you, to speak, for the inside you to feel, for the inside you to express. I'm talking about that person down inside where you have hunger, and I'm talking about for things, for people, for life, where you, where you harbor pain, disappointment, all those things that you tend to push down insecurities, all those things, what if that you could speak freely? And there was a time and a place for that. And you might think, well, what's the point? What's the point on dwelling on my disappointment or my insecurity? It just depresses me. What God would say is, it's going to depress you anyway. So why don't you bring that and sit down with me? It's the place for the inside you. And finally, disciplines tend to break up routines. They tend to challenge habits that we have. You see, what they do is they are intentionally providing opportunity for Jesus to touch your soul, to be in your life, to change your reality. We're going to dwell on these spiritual disciplines a little bit. We're going to break them into two pieces. One is disciplines of engagement. Now, there are many kinds of disciplines. I mean, the list could go on. And be fairly long. I'm going to address two different types. One is the disciplines of engagement, and the other one is the disciplines of abstinence. Now, most of us, when we think of abstinence, we think of sex. Those two words have just been connected together, at least in the West. But abstinence is a very different tool. I want to look at disciplines of abstinence first, and I'm only going to look at two of them. We're going to just focus on two of them. The first one is the practice of saying no to yourself with non-sinful things. The practice of saying no to yourself with non-sinful things. It is a practice. We're not doing it because it's bad. We're not doing it because it's sinful. It's not any different than going underwater to 30 feet, taking my mask off, and then putting it back on full of water and clearing my mask. Why would you take off a perfectly good mask? Why would you flood a perfectly dry mask? To practice. To practice saying no to desire. To take command of your desires. I was reminded of this story just this week by someone. A story that I've, I've, I've told at least once because they reminded me of it. Uh, I would be driving down here from Houston and I would pass 518, which is the, where the Starbucks was or is. It's before we had a Starbucks down here. And I would think I have time. I have money. I would treat myself to a triple grande no foam latte. A beverage so perfect songs have been made about it. (laughs) And one day as I was driving up and getting ready to get off at 518, I just felt like the Lord said, why don't you say no? Well, I don't want to say no. I don't need to say no. I don't have to say no. It's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. I thought about it. I thought, I really want that reward. Why? Because it's what I get when I'm going this way on this day at this time. The Q is five eighteen. On this day, that's the cue. The reward is the latte and the routine is I get off and go get it. I felt like the Lord was saying, but there's probably some real value in just not getting it. So I reluctantly pass up 518 and I'm thinking about it and I'm praying about it. And at first, I'm a little disgruntled. And I'm realizing I'm making a fairly big deal out of a beverage in here. And then I realize what I have just done is I have listened to God on a simple thing. I have practiced an obedience on a small, simple thing. And as I began to see, the Lord is teaching me to say no or yes, not just to sin, but to him. Do you see the difference? The difference is saying no to something, practicing abstinence, not just because of sin. And I welcome you to do that because of sin. But I'm saying the Lord is training us that in a moment the opportunity can become realized because I'm not captured by just a desire. And you see, I think it's amazing if you want to practice a discipline, then open yourself to saying no. Say, you know what, I'm not going to do Cokes for a week. Um, I'm not going to eat the donut. You see... Just pick something. It doesn't have to be that God is speaking. Just pick something. Just practice abstinence. I'm not going to do this. Now, it has to be something you want to do. You know, you can't say, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not going to uh, make my bed for a week. Yeah, that's it. I'm just not going to do it. Pick something that you like and practice saying no. And then change another time, pick something else. Pick something even larger sometimes. Practice saying no, and then talk about it with Jesus. Talk about it with him. This is a great discipline because we're just not used to doing it. And what does it do? It gives some space it interrupts a routine. It gives some space for you and God to talk about what this is, what it means. I, I don't think you should sit around and not make a big deal out of it. I think it's better to make a big deal out of it, not with people, but with God. You know what? I'm, I'm going to not do this for a week. I'm going to not do this for a day. It's where fasting comes from. The 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 effort of giving up food. Food isn't a bad thing. We have to have food. But to give it up for a day and spend time with Jesus. That's where it comes from. It breaks routine. And take that time before Jesus and just say, let's let's talk. Let's use this moment to talk. Whether it's food whether it's an activity, uh, whether it's Facebook. I had our leaders, I don't know, it's been a couple of years ago now, for I think it was a month or three months or something, everybody had to fast something. They had to fast something. One person fasted Facebook, and somebody else it was, I don't know what it was. But anyway, I think my fast was I was going to go to bed at 11 o'clock every day. Do you know how hard that is for me? I haven't gone to bed 11 o'clock since I was like nine. You know, it's just been a long time. And I can't get everything done before 11 o'clock, which doesn't speak well of me. So usually, I'm one, two, three, kind of getting ready to go to bed. And so it was a great discipline. And I had to cut things out. And, you know, I'm doing the things I want to do at midnight. I finally got to my list, you know, And and so in that place, eleven o'clock. I'm in bed. I'm I'm laying there talking with God. It was good for me. It was good for my day, to end at a different place. It broke my routine. It gave space for God and I. It makes us a little vulnerable, a little changed. Do you see how abstinence can be good for you and I? You are challenging routines. We're challenging habits. And we're changing up the cues. The next one getting alone. The fancy word is called solitude. Getting alone. Now, a lot of you will suck at this, some of you don't want to be alone. Now, when I say alone, when I say solitude, I'm not saying the TV is on. I'm not saying the tunes are playing. When I say alone, I mean all of that is shut down, and it's you, just you. I was talking to someone two weeks ago, we were talking about this and this person was talking about their lifestyle, how active it is. This person said, I have to do this. I can't be alone. Why can't you be alone? Because I began to think. What do you think about? I think about myself. and I begin to hate myself. And this person begins to weep. How good are you at being alone? Where do your thoughts go? I think in our busy world, where multitasking is considered the best, where if we don't have a conversation or 10, Going on on our phone, and a couple going on in person and watching a show at the same time. We're not comfortable. We've raised up a generation like this. You see, you need to be comfortable getting alone. I think it is one of the most powerful defense mechanisms that keep you from God on the planet is that you won't be alone. Now, many of you might say, I don't have the time. And I would say, that's convenient. Because alone time, just you, I don't care if you have to Lock yourself in a bathroom, drive off a cliff somewhere, find a place where you and your thoughts and your demons and your anger and your dreams, your fantasies, whatever they are, and Jesus all collide. I think it is the greatest distraction is the busyness. Alone is the place where you and Jesus will have the most profound realities. Luke 5, uh, verse 15 and 16. This is out of the NIV. But the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, but Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Now remember, this is the man who could see cues. This is the man who had routines that totally dismantled everything against him. This is the man who was talking with God every day, every moment, and what he did in the busyness of his schedule I mean there are dead to raise there are people to heal there is food to put out from two fish and, you know I mean there's just lots for this ministry to do but in the middle of that what he would do is stop all of that this is a guy that's listening and talking to God right now I mean real time but he still saw the importance of getting alone. And he would walk away from the ministry. He would walk away from work to do so. This is our cue. It is a discipline that will wreck your habits and routines. It will give great place for you and God. It will allow the inside you to be heard and felt. Mark 1, 35 through 37, also from the NIV. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And Simon, his companion, searched for him, but they, when they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. You're needed. There are things for you to do. There are people expecting you. There is expectations of you this day, Jesus. There are needs of you. There are demands of you. There are purposes and plans for you. Your life has a design this morning, Jesus. We have been everywhere looking for you. There was no apology from him. He was practicing something that was producing life. We think of Jesus being the Son of God as this impervious, bulletproof, um, superhuman. But that's not the person the scripture describes. What it describes is a human, a real human being. Flesh and blood, fear, pain, all those things. It describes a human being, but the difference was a human being that was willing to put God first, willing to give him the power over the cues, willing to let him set the stage, and willing to let him decide what life looks like and walk in his purpose and his plan. A a human being. That practiced disciplines that fed the real life. It's why he was called the second Adam, the second run at human being, being a human being. So if you want to be a human being in Christ, in God, then you follow what he did. This is how he did life. I mean, you know, we have so many conveniences. I can I can get a meal. That fast, pretty cheap. I could get around fast because I have a vehicle. They had to walk everywhere. Food was all made from scratch. Everything was hard. We act like they weren't busy, we act like they weren't overcommitted. We act like they didn't have the rough life we have. We have created the distractions. And we continue to add them. But it won't change that you have to get alone. Turn everything off and get alone. And in that place, you may want to write some of your thoughts down. Good ones or bad ones. They're all yours. Are you angry at God? Write that down. You angry at your mother? Go ahead and write that down. Are you mad because something happened or didn't happen? Write that down. And then make that a point of discovery with God. Jesus also taught this model, Mark 6, 30 through 32, the NIV. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that um, that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. You know, they were counting the victories. Oh, this happened, this happened, this was great. Here's what we were teaching. Lord, here's how I did this. And man, it really, it was great. They all got it and the Spirit came and blah, blah, blah. And he says, I think that's great. Now let's, you need to get away and get alone. You need to decompress with the Father. You're in danger. Do you see that, Mark? Do you see that, Matthew? John, do you get that? Yeah, things are going well. You're in danger. You're in danger. We act bulletproof. Things are going well. The ministry is going well. I find favor. My family loves me today. And I am bulletproof. Jesus would say, you're in danger. Come sit with me. Turn everything off. Come sit with me. Do you want to change habits? That's where it happens. Get alone. Turn everything off. Get rid of the headset. Get rid of the worship music. And sit down alone with Jesus. And let him be your friend. Now, there is no more awkward place on the planet than alone. With Jesus and no like aids, support stuff, you know, to kind of fill the moment. So be a little awkward. Be a little awkward. Let that moment be. Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while for there are many people coming and going and they did not have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So, abstinence, do without some things do without some things, solitude, get alone, completely alone. Those are, those are, and there are many more, like I said, but they kind of cover stripping down and making room. Then there are disciplines of engagement. The first one I'm just going to give you two. The first one is reading the Bible. Some people like to read the Bible. Many people do not. Many people are overwhelmed by it, find it confusing. The list goes on. But reading the Bible, get some help with that if that's a struggle for you. There are probably ways to change that. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, out of the NIV, it says, All Scripture, all the Bible is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now often when I hear this, people are talking about how we can use the scripture, how I can use the scripture to change you. How I can stand up here and use the scripture and it's good for all this stuff for you. But here's the way you should really hear this verse All the scripture is God-breathed and useful to teach me, to rebuke me, to correct me, and train me in righteousness. It's here to give me hope. It's here to change me. The scripture is here for me. The scripture is here for you. You read the scripture and you let it teach you. And you let it rebuke you. You let it correct you and train you in the ways of righteousness. Do you want your habits to change? Let the Bible have its appropriate place. Why? It's God-breathed. If you were sitting down with God and you said, God, you know, I have these struggles. And he says, here's here's what I would do, Bill. I don't want to do that. I guess you're going to continue to struggle, man. We can continue to struggle if we choose to. Or we can let the scripture change us. One of the greatest uh, father-son moments that we see in scripture is where Cain, the brother of Abel, is very angry. And he's angry that his sacrifice was not really accepted in His brothers was, and he's very angry. Ironically, he's angry with his brother, or he takes it out on his brother. And God goes to him, and God tells him truth. This is what the scripture can do for you and I. God goes to him and tells him truth. He says, Cain. It goes like this, something like this. Come on, back up. All right. Looks like this. So, He goes to Cain, and he's treating him like a son. He says, Cain, you realize what this is? This is sin, and it's crouching at your door. It's trying to get at you. This anger that you have, the struggle that you have, this this feeling of rejection you have, let me tell you what that is. This is the truth. This is God-breathed truth. Cain. This is the power of sin. And it's trying to get you. And you have to resist it. You have to deal with it. That was his words to Cain. God breathed. It was correction. It was rebuke. It was training in righteousness. It was all there. And Cain went away from that encounter with God and he killed his brother. Did he listen to the God council? No, he didn't. It was his to do, one way or another. The scripture is there for you. The scripture has the power to be an awfully incredible uh, force of change in you, but you have to allow, it'll be your decision to allow it to change and affect who you are in your habits. So when you read about anger, when you read about rage, when you read about loving your enemies, and then you go to work that day or go to school that day, don't be surprised if it's a hard day. Don't be uh, surprised if people provoke you. Don't be surprised if it is very difficult and you've had a terrible day. What you should recognize is the word was coming to teach you how to do that day. That the day would become a cue. That that day was the moment that represented the cues and that God was giving you new routines to go into that very day. And in that very day, you had truth that would produce a different outcome. He was handing you that routine, and he was saying, go for the reward this routine will give you. The Bible has that power. And I, I tell you, after you read it, little words will pop up to you all the time. It'll happen. You'll be in that setting, in that circumstance, and God will use it. Hebrews 4.12 in the NIV, for the word of God is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to divide the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The The, squir- the, the, the word has the power to do that for you if you want it to. It can evaluate your thoughts and your attitudes. It can challenge your thoughts and attitudes. That's what the Word of God can do. It is a great discipline. Read the Bible. Read it to get it. Don't just read it to mark it off the list. Read it and let it sink in. There's, a, there's a, a cool Latin phrase, um, Lectio Divina. It's just a way of saying, read the Bible and then invite God into what you've read. So if I read that verse right there, God talked to me about this. Your word, it has the power to penetrate. It has the power to evaluate, to judge my attitudes. Father, tell me about my attitudes today. Tell me, Lord, what's at work in me right now? What do you see? Talk to me about my thoughts, Father. You see how you're taking the word and you're inviting God Make these words relevant and alive in my moment today. That's a discipline. What does it do? Clears out old space. Gives God room to speak. Challenges old habits. You see how it does that? That's what disciplines can do. If you want to change and you don't want to wait for a crisis to do it, this is a great way to do it right here. And finally, the discipline of prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the NIV. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every cue, take every cue by prayer and petition, go before the Lord. All right, what are we doing, Father? What's going on here? With thanksgiving, thanksgiving. In other words, it's not about, "Oh man, it happened again. I hate that." I can't believe he did that. But with Thanksgiving, see how different that is already? Already your habit is all screwed up. It's just jacked up that you've got to go instead of, "Wow, she did that again." You go, "Oh wow, Thank you, Father. This cue is happening again. What are we doing? You see how it's a bit of a train wreck? If you want to change habits, this is where it happens, right here. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you want to change habits, prayer is the power tool. Why? Because all it is is prayer is just talking to God. You're inviting him and giving him that space, giving him that open place. You're you're jacking the routine that's in place. And you are using prayer to open up the stage that God can act in your life and through your life. That's the discipline of prayer. It will change your habits. Matthew 6, 6 through 8 in the NIV but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's that word, reward. And again, don't pray just babbling like pagans. And that means like people who don't know, don't know Jesus. For they think they will be heard because of many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need, even before you ask. When it's talking about praying in secret, what it's saying is praying is really what's happening here. It's happening here. It's talking with God this way. It's not about you guys seeing me. Oh, Father. Lord, I thank you that you hear my words, that you recognize my righteousness in Jesus. You see, it's about the stage in here. Let that be where the reward is coming from. you would stand.